0: Morning, church. Boy, it's a great day, beautiful day this morning, isn't it? it was so cold last week, so cold. It was. I'm glad you asked. It was so cold. Uh, I heard up north, politicians had their hands in their own pockets. It was cold. <laughs> that, uh, it, we didn't clean our house. We defrosted it. That's how cold it was. Uh, it was so cold. Hitchhikers were holding up pictures of their thumbs. I mean, that's how cold it was. It was so cold, grandpa's teeth were chattering in the glass. I mean, that's not cold That's pretty cold. Okay, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Let me start off with an excerpt from Bob Russell's book. The book is entitled, When God Builds a Church. He writes, a few years ago, my brother, John Russell, who is the preacher at a congregation in northern Kentucky, was visiting another church while on vacation. The worship leader, attempting to warm up the congregation, said, Turn around to the person behind you and say, I love you. Sitting in front of my brother was a very attractive young lady. She turned around, she looked at him, and she said, I love you. John's wife, Susan, grabbed him by the arm and said, we love you too. (laughs) Love God, love people, serve others. Now last week we were talking about loving God and connecting that to the church. I want to transition this month of February and talk about loving others. So we're to love God. We're also to love other people. I mean, if you use the one-year Bible for your daily devotions, I know a lot of you do. You read it or listen to it as I do. It's interesting. Today, in today's selection, you get some Old Testament, New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb. In today's selection, you were reading where Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And if you, you know his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second one, he said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we realize if we love God, we also are, are committed to loving our neighbor as well, to loving the family of God. You can't love God without loving the family of God. Church and also we're related either in Adam or in Christ and, and our neighbors as well. So if you say, I love you, Steve. And you push my granddaughter off her bicycle, we're going to have a problem. You love me, got to love the family too. So I want to transition and talk about loving people this morning. We're, we're, we're created for relationships. We're wired up. Even our, the introverts here this morning, we're wired up for relationships. We have relationships with our family, with our spouses, with our parents, with our children, with our neighbors, with the grocery store clerk down the road. Even in in some way, with every human interaction that we have, we are relating. And the secret to great relationships is love. The secret is love. Some of us may be disappointed in the status of some of our relationships or where we are at this point. I I read about one guy. He said, "Here, I'm 42 years old. I've had two broken marriages. My children don't want to have anything to do with me. He just felt like he had messed up his whole life. But the good news is, wherever we are, there's always hope for the future. God comes in and he works in our lives and he takes us where we are and we can grow and move on from that. And we want to make sure we're doing well, loving other people. The passage that was read for us this morning, before the message, talking about love, emphasizes whatever your definition of success may be. Uh, whether it's fame or whether it includes financial success, whatever that may be, if it doesn't include love, it is an incomplete definition. You can even, we can even be good at religious things, religious duties. right? Paul wrote, if I give my body to be burned, if I give all my money to the poor, if I have a faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm just a clanging gong. I'm just a tinkling cymbal. It, it counts for nothing. So we, we definitely want to make sure we're doing good in this area of love, and God has commanded it. The great thing about God's commands is that they're not burdensome. If When we live by God's commands, God's instructions, it is the best, most fulfilling, and satisfying way to live. So that's, that's what living a life of love is. It's, a satis- it's the most satisfying way to live life. So what I want to do this morning, I want to, I want to look at how we focus on a biblical love which turns out to be the most satisfying type of love. So I have three basic points this morning. Number one, satisfying love focuses on giving versus getting. Now this will just be a reminder. You know this. But satisfying love focuses on giving versus getting. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting what in return? Expecting nothing in return love your enemies expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's great to get love. When you love somebody and they reciprocate, that's a beautiful thing. That's satisfying. But the bedrock foundation of biblical love and the most satisfying way to live is that we love, whether that's returned to us ever or not when you love your enemy there's no guarantee anything is going to come back to you but we continue to love regardless realizing God loves everyone I mean one of the reasons we can do this we can be people of love even if nothing comes back is because God meets our primary need for love God is loving you right now and me we are awash in the love of God he meets that primary need for us God loves everyone Even when we were still sinners, the Bible says, that's when God sent his son to die for us. While we were enemies of God, God loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So God loves everyone. Not everyone loves God. In fact, the majority of the people that God loves are not going to love him back. It's a minority. It's unrequited love from God. It's unreciprocated love from God. And so, as Christians, we've made a commitment. We're followers of Jesus. We're going to do the biblical kind of love, Jesus kind of love. That's a love that expects nothing in return. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Now, I know we, I know we all want love in our lives, but it does no good to run around demanding love. You, know, you must love me. You have to love me. Love me. It doesn't do any good. Love can never be demanded it can only be offered. It can only be given. Now, Al Ritter is an author, and he's written a little book, a best-selling book called The 100-0 Principle that's based upon this very idea of it's all about giving and not getting. And there's a little video I'm going to show you just now that's based upon that book, about, about two minutes. Let's roll that video, Justin. <laughs> Okay, now, in case you couldn't read that, depending on where you were sitting, let me summarize it for you very briefly. The 100-0 principle applies to those people in your life where the relationships are too important to react automatically or judgmentally. Each of us must determine the relationships to which this principle should apply. Step one, four steps. One, determine what you can do to make the relationship work, and then do it. Demonstrate respect and kindness to the other person, whether they deserve it or not. Number two. Do not expect anything in return. Zero, zip, nada. Step three, do not allow anything the other person says or does, no matter how annoying to affect you. In other words, don't take the bait. They may push the right buttons. Do not take the bait. Number four, be persistent with your graciousness and kindness. Often we give up too soon, especially when others don't respond in kind. Remember to expect nothing in return you are a love machine. Nothing can keep you from loving. And then the paradox is oftentimes when we take authentic responsibility for 100% of the relationship, oftentimes that becomes a trigger for changing the relationship. And the other person begins to take responsibility too. That's great when that happens, but even if it doesn't, this is going to be our posture. And we may say, well, Steve, that's inhuman. Look, the Holy Spirit has to help us with this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Absolutely. Ask God to give us the desire to love that way and then to enable us to love that way. And he will. All right, so what are we talking about? Satisfying love. And I listen. I know this is, a, this is another sermon. We're listening to the sermon. We have another day at church and we'll go home. Remember 5 or 10% maybe of what we heard. This principle right here, 100%, 0%, I'm going to be this kind of a person. I take 100% responsibility for the relationship i'm on a love regardless of whether that ever comes back to me that is a life-changing takeaway a life-changing principle when we do it so what is the satisfying love focusing on it focuses on giving versus getting number two the satisfying biblical love is a love that focuses on actions versus feeling on actions versus feeling or emotions 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. I'll say it. So a biblical love is an act of love. We use the terminology, I fell in love. I love this. I love that. I love ice cream. I love my grandma. You know, I love football. I love Tom Brady. Well, maybe not Tom Brady, but I love this. I love that. I fall in love, fall out of love. You know, that's all kind of feeling and emotion driven but the biblical love is not i mean that's that's reactive right that's reactive talk versus uh, proactive talk now we don't deny that we have feelings and emotions that's part of our makeup and, and it's all it's part of relationships but for a christian we are not led by our feelings and emotions we subjugate that this is what the bible tells us step back from that and we are led. What we do, our actions are driven not by how we feel. You know, you can't always work up that feeling. It's not by how we feel, but it's by our values. Our actions are driven by our values. Our actions are driven by our commitments, by our beliefs. And so we can we can act in love, whether the feeling is there or not. Uh, Stephen Covey, maybe an author that's familiar to some of you. He wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a great book. But he gave seminars, and he was writing one time. He says at one seminar where he was speaking, speaking about this subject, a man came up and said, Stephen, I like what you're saying, but every situation is so different. Look at my marriage, he said. I'm really worried. My wife and I just don't have the same feelings for each other that we used to have. I guess I just don't love her anymore, and she doesn't love me. What can I do? And Covey asked, the feeling isn't there anymore? And the man affirmed, that's right. And we have three children. We're really concerned. What do you suggest? And Covey replied, well, I suggest you love her. And the man said, well, I told you, the feeling just isn't there anymore. And Covey said, well, then love her. And he said, well, you don't understand. The feeling of love just isn't there. And Covey said, then love her. If the feeling isn't there, that's a good reason to love her. But how do you love when you don't love. And Covey responded, My friend, love is a verb. Love the feeling is the fruit of love the verb. So love her. Serve her. Sacrifice. Listen. Empathize. Appreciate. Affirm. Are you willing to do that? Now, Covey is right about this. We're talking about biblical love. Biblical love is a verb. It doesn't follow the feeling. It doesn't follow the emotion. It's the commitment, and it is the action. And we act, we act into the feeling and not the vice versa. Mother Teresa said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. What Covey said about a marriage, that's true about marriage, true about our marriages, and our families, but it's also true about a church. It's true about a life group. It's true, true about a workplace situation. It's true about our schools. It's true in our nate with our neighbors and our neighborhoods. We control our actions. And if I say, look, you know, I if there's somebody in my life that I am not loving, I can come up with reasons. You can come up with reasons, but Steve, you don't understand what they did to me or what she did to my kids, or what he did to my parents. You just don't understand. I mean, even God wouldn't expect love in these kind of circumstances. That's reactive language. It makes me the victim. It takes me out of control. This much I know for sure. If there is a person, anyone, that I'm not loving, you're not loving. Whose fault is that? That is my fault. That is always my fault. I have 100% total control of who i love of whether i love this is another life-changing principle i take control of that love is a verb love is an action and i can portray loving actions to that person so we're not controlled we're not reactive to our feelings and emotions we take control and we love an action and honestly what's the alternative to withhold from love someone we can't do that we're going to love people the way god loves And honestly, that's the most satisfying way to live. Satisfying love is love that focuses on giving and focuses on action versus emotion and feeling. And then thirdly, satisfying love focuses on growth versus immaturity, on growth versus immaturity. Back to the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage. This was the the one that was read for us before the message this morning, but a different verse. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. Now, what is Paul talking about here in this passage and in this letter? What's the context? Many of you may know the context to the Corinthian church. It's a very childish church. They were were like a bunch of little children, and they were very immature in that church. They were plagued by arguments, by dissension, division, by pride, bickering, arguing, the Holy Spirit had distributed many miraculous gifts in that church. They were like little children, on spoiled children, on Christmas morning, open up their gift. That's not the gift I wanted. She got the gift I wanted. He got the gift that I wanted. And the ones with the showy gifts were lording it over those who had the quieter, behind-the-scenes type of gifts. Just a mess. And so Paul writes this right here. He said, look, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child, acted like a child. When I became a man, I put those childish ways behind me. What's he telling the Corinthian church? Same, grow up. We we need to grow up here, church. And this is all, and and what does that look like? How do you know when your child, when your spiritual childhood is over? Here's some signs that your childhood is finally over. First, one peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that just doesn't do it anymore. Here's another one. You're taller than the slide at the McDonald's playground. Your childhood's probably over. When naps are good, when naps are a good thing, childhood's over. When you leave concerts and ball games early to beat the crowd. When you actually want clothes for Christmas. When you bought an album on vinyl. Anybody here actually bought an album on vinyl? I'm not the only one. Your childhood is over. When you remember seeing Star Wars at the theater when it first came out. Yeah, same people then your childhood is probably over. What are, the spirit, what are the signs that your spiritual childhood is over? Spiritual childhood. Well, when we grow up in love, it's a nice thing about love. We can grow in our capacity to love. Say, Steve, you know, I tried all that. I tried giving without expecting anything in return. I tried acting out of love and not following my feelings and emotions. It just hasn't worked out for me. Well, what, is, what do you mean by that? It hasn't worked out. If it hasn't worked out, take a run at it again. Learn from past mistakes. Do better at it the next time and ask God to help us. We can grow in our capacity to love and we can grow up. Uh, I read the book, The Art of Neighboring. This is a great book. Uh, Scott recommended it, The Art of Neighboring. And in that book, uh, the authors tell about one name, man named Pete who, had, who got off on a bad start with his neighbors. And his neighbor... His neighbor had a barking dog. This is the, the one of these dogs that barks, yaps all day, seemed like it was yapping all night long. The barking was coming through the walls of their house, penetrating their skin, rattling around in their brains. All they could ever hear was driving them crazy with his barking dog. So Pete went next door to talk to his neighbor, and he talked to him about the dog, and the neighbor... I don't see a problem, the neighbor said. I just don't see any. There's no problem. And so he got no satisfaction. He goes back and says, Talks to his wife, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we could, we could call the police, make a police report. We could turn them into the HOA and make a complaint. Of course, if you do that, you might start a war, right? Start a war with the neighbor. You ever seen, you ever seen have you ever been in a situation where you were at war with your neighbor? Or have you seen a situation where neighbors were at war? I have, and that's a terrible thing. In fact, last week in the newspaper, in the, in the news, we had a politician, uh, Rand Paul. Did you see this in the news? He was awarded a $500,000 judgment against his neighbor because his neighbor had to come over and assaulted him and broke five of his ribs, and he got $100,000 per rib. He got a $500,000 judgment, but they had been at war, and the neighbor said, Rand Paul, he always dumps his leaves and his trash in my yard. So it went, this went back and forth and back and forth for months. It was a neighbor war. So Pete and his wife said, you know, we don't want to be at war with our neighbors. And they were Christians, and they said, let's just try to handle this maybe the way Jesus would. So they put up with it, and they looked for an opportunity to act in love. Well, in December, it snowed. Obviously, this wasn't in Florida. And Pete was out there. He, sh- he shoveled his driveway, and he looked at his neighbor's driveway. It hadn't been shoveled yet. So he went over there, and he shoveled his neighbor's driveway. And when he was done, a man came out the front door, introduced himself as the neighbor's brother, and said, thank you for doing that. He said, my brother just was recently admitted to the hospital. He's been diagnosed with cancer. And Pete, when he learned that, he talked to his wife. They said, oh, my goodness. Here, we're we're complaining to them about their dog, and they've got a a life-altering situation and challenge going on. And we didn't even know. They decided to try to minister to them. When the neighbor came home, they brought some food over. They began to communicate. Trust was eventually built, and now they're friends. But Pete was asked, what about that barking dog? And he said, you know, the dog still barks, but it just doesn't seem to be quite as loud as it did before. He called it miraculous hearing loss. But what it was, as much as anything was grown-up love. It's grown-up love. It's trying to uh, approach a person the way Jesus would and love that person in a mature way the way Jesus would and not being bothered by the small stuff and then realize it's all small stuff. It's all little stuff when compared to loving. Every one of us, every one of us has it within our control to live a contented, satisfying life. The secret to doing that being loved by God, loving God, and loving people. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning that we can be reminded. We I'm sure most of us knew most of us this morning but this but we want to be reminded today that we are like Mother Teresa. We're pencils in your hand and you are writing a love letter to the world and that letter comes through us. Through our attitudes, through our actions, and our interactions with everybody and with whom we come in contact, that we are to love them expecting nothing in return. We are to love them in action, whether we feel like it or not. We are to love them with a a great, big, mature, grown-up love. May your Holy Spirit shed his love abroad in our hearts. In Jesus' name.